Hello, and welcome to Cavernkirst. Over in the UK, now that Halloween is over, we have Guy Fawkes Night, which is on the 5th of November, and there is an old rhyme that we got taught in school. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. And I have recently come to a hell of a conclusion, and apologies to the Patreon people who have heard me come to this conclusion already. I originally thought it was gunpowder treason and plot. And then I was like, oh, no, it's not, because gunpowder treason isn't an actual thing. It's gunpowder treason and plot. Turns out, little year two me was right. Because I never knew there was a second part to the rhyme, which goes, Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason that the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Thank you, V for Vendetta. Much appreciated. Do you know what? Screw it. There's a speech in it. There's a really cool speech in Viva Vendetta and I'm going to try it now because just get ready for the most mental amount of alliteration you've ever heard in your life, okay? I'm going to try and get this in one. Voila! In view, a humble vaudevillian veteran, cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate. This visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the vox populi, now vacant, vanished. However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin, vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition. The only verdict is vengeance, a vendetta held as a votive not in vain, for the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant, damn it, the vigilant and the virtuous. So close. Verily, this vichyssoise of verbiage veers most verbose, so let me simply add that it's my very good honour to meet you, and you may call me V. Oh, I was so close. So close. What a speech though, right? What a speech. So V's whole thing is a tribute to Guy Fawkes, who in 1605 planned to blow up the Houses of Parliament. He didn't, obviously. But yeah, now we burn life-size models of Guy Fawkes on a massive bonfire every year. So I thought, before I get into the other words, I'd talk for a little bit about bonfires because I really like them. Just fires in general. I think I spoke about it in a previous episode. Yes, I did. Because there, there was the accidental alleged arson. Yeah, see, even I'm getting in on the alliteration now. If you want to know about that, feel free to go back and listen to episode four, I think it is, that has fireplace in it. Speaking of words, if you haven't listened to Cavancast before, if this is your first time listening, nice to have you here. Secondly, how it works is I use a random word generator to generate five random words. 
which gives five random topics, and then I just talk about them. Mostly random. There might be a special occasion, like this one, and like last episode, which was Halloween. But yes, most of the time, five random words. So, first word, bonfire. Bonfires are beautiful. The sheer magnificence of them is astounding. You're just, you're just standing in front of raw heat and power. And I always have this overwhelming urge to run straight into them. I don't know if that's a normal thing. I think it is. I think people have this urge. I don't know what that thing is within people that makes them just want to like yeet themselves into destruction or off of stuff. I'm kind of interested in it. If anyone knows about it, tweet me about it. I won't chat about it now because it feels like it's going to go really deep right at the beginning. So that's not something for now, but definitely something for another time. So, okay, why is it called a bonfire? Is it bon like good? Like a good fire? Here, look at my good fire. The earliest recorded uses of the word date back to the late 15th century within the Catholicon Anglicum, another good band name. Not as good as Christian Anarchist, but still alright. Spelling it as Banefire. And John Merck's Book of Festivals speaking of a communal fire in celebrations of St. John's Eve that was clean bones and no wood that is called a bonefire. Um, okay. I don't know what I said there. The word is a compound of the words bone and fire. In 1755, Samuel... Uh, okay. In 1755, Samuel Johnson misattributed the origin of the word as a compound of the French bon, meaning good, and the English fire, in a dictionary of the English language. Okay, so me and Sammy Boy are on the same wavelength, I see. So, like, bones on a fire? That's, um, slightly worrying. Am I understanding that right? You can't tell me. You're, you're no help. Okay, just bones on a fire it is then. So as far as I know, in the UK, we only really have bonfires for Guy Fawkes Night, but they are used for so many reasons culturally, rather than some dude. Uh, for example, in Finland and Norway, bonfires are tradition on Midsummer Eve, and to a lesser degree, in Easter. In the Czech Republic, the festival called Burning the Witches, sick band name, also Philip and Jacob Night, Walpurgis Night, Walpurgis, Walpurgis Night, or Beltane, takes place on the night between the 30th of April and the 1st of May. Am I butchering these pronunciations again? Please don't come for me, I'm sorry. This is a very old and still observed folk custom and special holiday. On that night, people gather together, light bonfires and celebrate the coming of spring. And in many places, people erect maypoles. In India, 
particularly in Punjab, people gather around a bonfire and eat peanuts and sweets during the festival of Lowry? Lowry. Lowry. To celebrate the winter solstice, which occurred during the Indian month of Mag. Please let me be pronouncing these right. People have bonfires on communal land. If there has been a recent wedding or a newborn in the family, people will have a bonfire outside their house to celebrate this event. That's cool. Throughout Ireland, bonfires are lit on the night of the 31st of October to celebrate Halloween or... Oh my God, right. So, speaking of pronunciations, Halloween or not Samhain, as I was corrected by multiple people, Sound, sound. I think I've got that right this time. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the butchering. I've been corrected and educated. Consider me sorted. My apologies. Um, every 16th of August, the ancient city of Kyoto holds the Gosan no Okuribi. See, I'm good at Japanese pronunciation, just not Celtic. Um, a Buddhist bonfire-based spectacle, which marks the end of the Obon season. There's so many, man. That's barely scratched the surface. Really cool. There you go, some bonfire things. The next word is migration. Um... Okay, going to start with an amazing fact. I really like this fact. Um, I don't think I've mentioned it yet, which is good. So, I read about this specific species of butterfly, and they've been migrating for millennia, right? And at one point in this migration, they fly across this massive lake or body of water. I can't remember specifically where this is. Uh, and when they hit a certain point somewhere over the middle of this lake, they just stop and start, like they just change direction and go sideways. And they go around in a massive curve instead of going straight forward as though there was something there. And it turns out that years ago, like years ago, there used to be a mountain there that due to, you know, nature uh now isn't but it's still like embedded in the butterfly's genetic code i guess uh that like hey bro you can't fly there <laughs> big mountain no bueno you can't do it gotta go around sorry pal even though it's not there and it doesn't exist and this has sparked massive interest into how much can potentially be stored in genetic code and genetic memory. That's so cool, right? I love it. So I remember this film also uh, when I was a kid called, I think it was called The First Snow of Winter. And it was about a bird, like a baby bird that gets left behind on a winter migration. And he has to, like, find his way on his own, which is heartbreaking. Not as heartbreaking as Sid the Sloth getting left behind in the Ice Age. Oh, man. 
I cry every time. Poor guy. I go, oh, that, that's, that's a rent-free thing in my head. Yummo, a dandelion. Must be the last one of the season. Always, always in there. Anyway, this little bird uh, befriends a puffin. I think it was a puffin. This is all like vague memory in my head. And uh, they just ride out the winter together. I can't remember exactly what happens, but I'm pretty sure I'm not imagining that. If I am, someone run with that idea. Feel free. It's yours. (laughs) Oh, I'm an idiot. I just googled some stuff about migration and it came up with three main reasons for migration. And it says economic migration social migration and political migration and i totally forgot that people migrate as well i was like what (laughs) i was like what geese have political issues strong enough that they have to migrate (laughs) i need to have a conversation with myself i am having a conversation with myself maybe i need to stop having conversations with myself just give me some cool migration things um Birds in migration can travel as far as 16,000 miles. To reach their destination in time, some travel at speeds of 30 miles an hour. At this speed, birds take up to 533 hours to reach their final destination. Traveling 8 hours a day, it would take some birds 66 days to reach their migration destination. This means the birds have been traveling a long time by the time they get to your backyard. Make sure they are welcomed with fresh food and water when they arrive. So does that mean that whenever I hear bird song at four in the morning, it's actually just birds going, I am knackered. I am so tired. It's just them out of breath. I'm so tired. That's that's what birdsong is. And we just sat there like, oh, it's so beautiful. And they're like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. Instinctively, migrating birds know where to migrate and how to navigate back home. They use the stars, the sun, and the earth's magnetism to help them find their way. They also almost always return home to where they were born. Because of this, you could be right if you think that you see the same bird each year in your yard. Huh. To help birds prepare themselves for the long journey away from home for the winter, they build up body fat. They fuel up with certain foods and reserve up to 50% of their body weight. It is important to feed birds all year long, but especially when they return from migration and when they are preparing to leave for migration, they will be hungry. Mate, that's like the bird equivalent of, yo dude, road trip? Hell yeah. Okay, bro, we gotta get snacks. We gotta get chips, energy drinks, pretzels, chocolate. (laughs) They're like halfway through their migration and one bird's like to his mate, bro. Where's the worms? Dude, they should be right there, bro. Well, they're not. Bro, did you forget to pack the worms? No, I swear they're right there. Dude, you forgot the worms, bro. Dude, I'm sorry. We were in a rush. Man. Bet that's happened multiple times, to be honest.
Giant is the next word. For me, I'm giant. The amount of times I've hit my head on this van, bro. The Iron Giant was a cool film, wasn't it? If you've seen it, I haven't watched it in years. I literally, I, like, I don't know. I don't know how big an actual giant would be. Thinking about it, there's been so many different examples of giants in the media, like, without any type of consistency, except, <laughs> damn, he big. Because you've got, what have you got in pop culture? Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Iron Giant, Game of Thrones, Legend of Zelda, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, Attack on Titan, King Kong, I guess, kind of, the BFG, Green Giant, oh, 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 Green Giant. <laughs> uh. So yeah, I guess just like all big. What defines a giant? Is there a, like a, is there a height requirement for a giant? Do I meet them? Do I meet the height requirements? Uh, giant, an imaginary creature like a man. I'm like a man sometimes, but extremely tall. Yes, strong, kind of, and usually very cruel. Okay, I try not to do that. Uh, appearing especially in children's stories. Now I can read them. I'm probably just not great subject matter to be in them. I guess not. I guess I'm not a giant. What else have you got? You've got uh, media giants, corporate giants, giant stars. Like they call stars giants, don't they? Don't they? Uh, I was going to start talking about the concept of a um, like a load of different types of giant potentially living in the ocean, but uh, no, I'm good. This is a chill podcast. Thank you very much. I am. I'm solid. Gonna leave that one. Gonna leave it right, right there. Okay. So who have we got? Who have we got? Giant wise, in Greek mythology. Atlas was one of the titans who went to war against Zeus's, 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 it's like Zeus's source, Zeus's, <clears throat> sorry, Zeus's gods of Olympus. When the titans lost, gutted, take the L, bro, Zeus condemned Atlas to hold up the sky for all eternity. I wonder, is that why a map of the world is called an atlas? Is that what it is? I'm going to say yes. Goliath. Oh yeah, Goliath. Lad was the biblical giant defeated against the odds by the shepherd David. David and Goliath. Yep. Uh, described in the book of Samuel, Goliath was a Philistine champion from the city of Gath. Where are you from? I'm from Gath. Oh, is it nice there? Ah, it's great. Gaff. Yeah, it sounds it. it sounds like a, it sounds like it's very green. Not really, it's quite grey. Gaff. Which was where an ancient race of giants was said to originate. Or maybe I should stop talking smack about Gaff. Not really gonna I'm not gonna get into an ends battle with a load of giants. 
Maybe I have family from Gath, who knows. The exact size of Goliath is debated, but it seems he was either six foot eight or nine foot seven. Six foot eight? Either way, he was a lot bigger than his seemingly puny opponent, David. Six foot eight? He is also described in the Bible as being clad in an imposing amount of bronze armor. Still six foot eight. Oh my God. I thought Goliath was like non-human big. Well, I suppose if he was nine foot seven, then yeah, maybe. But like, just thinking he was like stupid big, not like a bit taller than me. Am I Goliath? Maybe I do have family in Gath. Who knows? Anyway, right, that's, that's given me a complex now. Right, let's move on. Um... Oh, I have actually heard of these. In Japanese folklore, oni are often hideous giants in demon form. They are depicted looking fearsome with red or blue skin, three fingers and toes, and grotesque horns. They are also often naked, save for a loincloth made from the pelts of wild beasts, described as super strong. They're also very keen on human flesh. Bit tough, so I've heard, uh, so they can keep that. And there is also Gogmagog. Gogmagog. I've not heard of Gogmagog. Gogmagog is... <laughs> Gogmagog is said to have been the last giant in the British Isles. The source for most of our information on him comes from the Welshman Geoffrey of Monmouth, who in circa 1136 wrote Historia Regnum Britanniae, the history of the kings of Britain, in which he describes how early Britain, then called Albion, was inhabited by a race of giants. One such giant was the twelve-foot-tall Gogmagog, a rough and strong being who could uproot an oak tree as if it were a twig. One day, a group of giants, including Gogmagog, attacked Brutus, a descendant of the Trojans of Greece, who had claimed Albion as his own. The giants killed many Britons before they too were killed, and only Gogmagog survived. Right, I'm done. Of course, the British one has a name like Gogmagog. We are literally a joke to the world, I swear to God. Oh, God, Magog, are you done smashing up towns and forests? Would you like to pop round for a spot of tea, old chap? Done. Actually done. Maybe Gog Magog is the BFG. Maybe. That would make sense, because it was just him, wasn't it? It's just him left. He's like the nice one. I don't know. Maybe. Food for thought. Okay, next word. Peace. Like piece of cake. I really want cake. Oh, I have many apple pies in here. Yeah, okay. That'll be a nice little treat for later. Um, peace. Peace, peace, pieces, peace. Um, pieces of eight from Pirates of the Caribbean. Actually, so you know I was talking about swords last time and accidentally ordering one off eBay, ordering a set off eBay when I thought they were wood but were actually metal as a young child. Um, so I think the first thing I ever bought and actually received off eBay that wouldn't kill anyone 
was uh, one of the gold Aztec medallions from the first parts of the Caribbean film. You know, like the gold one with like the skull on it, the really cool thing. Well, actually, thinking about it, you couldn't get more opposite, could you? Swords kill people, but the medallions curse you so you can't die at all. Wow. Talk about your opposites. Um, okay, question. Were you someone that went for the biggest piece of cake? Or the smallest? Or, more specifically, because I'm talking morally, not how hungry you are, um, if, say, like a chocolate bar was broken in half and offered to you, would you take the bigger half or the smaller half? See, I don't know if there's a moral message there, actually, thinking about it. Okay, here's one that's more morally specific. I think it's called the trolley dilemma, or the, the shopping cart dilemma. Basically, it's like whether or not you take the trolley or shopping cart back to its original place at a supermarket when you're done with it, or do you just leave it for someone else to deal with? Because there is no rule that says you have to take it back, but do you do it anyway? And what does that say about you? I love stuff like that. Only because I have always taken the trolley back. <laughs> but also, I have jumped in them and gone trolley racing and trolley crashing as a kid. So, karmically, it balances out about, about neutral, I reckon. Uh, something that lives in my head rent-free is uh, a family guy bit. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. On the regular, that will pop into my head. Uh, pieces of things. Puzzle pieces. I remember doing a massive astronomy puzzle when I was a kid. I say massive. It was probably only like 500 pieces. Ooh, go on. World record puzzle. Let's have a look. World record puzzle. The jigsaw puzzle with the most pieces consisted of... Okay. Okay. Have a think in your mind about what number you think this is going to be before I say it. Okay. Got one? Okay. The world record puzzle is 551,000. 232 pieces and it was completed with an overall measurement of 14.85 by 23.20 meters which is 48 feet 8.64 inches by 76 feet 1.38 inches jeez by 1600 students of the University of Economics of Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam at the Futo Stadium in Ho Chi Minh City on the 24th of September 2011. That's okay. I thought it was one dude. I thought one guy completed that whole thing. Okay, I feel better now. Still feel terrible. Still feel inferior, so I'm going to move swiftly on. But, fair play to them. Definitely not a piece of cake. Ah. Good thing I'm good with words, isn't it? Well, not if you look at my pronunciation track record. The last word is bag. Get that bag. 
fumble the bag. Bag of dirt. Oh no, it's jar of dirt, isn't it? I've got a jar of dirt. More parts of the Caribbean for you there. <laughs> Just a little parts of the Caribbean reference. No biggie. Now, uh, let me think about how I can talk more about the topic of bags. Uh, I, like everyone else... Okay, I can't keep that. I can't keep that accent up. I, like everyone else in the UK, probably has about, like, 50,000 Tempe shopping bags. Oh my god, no, I don't. I got rid of them. I got rid of them all. Wow. Yo, I literally had, like, four years' worth of bags stored up in my place in London because I didn't want to throw them away because environment um but then i found out you can take them to uh like a big supermarket like a big sainsbury's or whatever and they literally have specific bins that you can put them in so i went down there but just before i moved out with four massive rubbish bags full of smaller bags and spent a disproportionately long time disposing of them it was quite a liberating feeling actually I'm, uh, I'm going to try something. I'm going to tempt fate. The bag I currently have that I keep my stuff in, you know, like your, your daily bag. Um, I've had the same one for like six years. Why am I doing this? Uh, and it hasn't broken. I can't believe it's never broken. I don't think it will ever break, to be honest. And there we go. Let's see what you got. This could be interesting. Let me report back soon. I, tr I did actually, I trashed so many bags when I was at school, like backpacks, mostly because we'd use them as terrain to trick over when we were skating. It's probably why I never had a nice bag and just had cheat ones because I'd just wreck them all the time. And we always used to just throw our bags in the air for no reason other than like mate look how high i can throw my bag let's play what's in my bag what i've got my bag here what is in my bag i have a kind bar dark chocolate nuts and sea salt 60 percent nuts like me uh gluten-free high fiber ingredients you can see and pronounce that is uh, assuming a lot of me. Do they know who is reading? What else? Some deodorant. Gonna smell nice. Um, some Body Shop Cool Cucumber Hand Cream. Nice. Some Purell Hand Sanitizer. A coaster. Why I have a coaster, I don't know. I feel like this should be in video form, really. I'll just do this in video form at some point. On my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash cavern, I think. Just YouTube cavern and you'll find it. I'm sorry, I thought this would be more interesting. Um, eyeshadow. Nail polish. So the front pouch is my emo pouch, apparently. Wow, this was riveting, wasn't it? 
No, that's literally it. There is nothing cooler in my bag because I don't have anything really with me anymore. All my cool stuff is in storage. I'll do a video and I'll get some cool stuff for you. Um, so there you go. There's some stuff that was in my bag. I hope you hope your life feels a little bit more complete now. Which it blatantly doesn't. But what I do hope is that as we draw to the end of this, is that you feel a little bit more chill than when we first started. Whatever you're doing, I hope you're feeling a bit calmer while doing it. Thank you for hanging out. If you want any more content and bonus episodes, you can find that on my Patreon, where the bonus episodes are available at all tiers. And all my socials are at Gavin Kingston. And with that, I will speak to you soon. Okay? Okay. Bye.